Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. To find more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. You can find the show on YouTube by searching Hard to Believe Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Or you can support the show on Patreon by heading to patreon.com slash hardtobelieve. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at john at cageclub.me, or you can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-J-B. The show is written and produced by me. So I don't have favorites, and I also don't answer hypotheticals. This bothers my oldest daughter who constantly asks me if I'd rather be like a walrus or a shark or something and what my favorite food or color is and I can't and I won't give her an answer. It's just kind of an element of my personality. Um, It always has been. I just don't have a favorite movie or a food or a band or book. I really love lots of different versions of all of those things and my favorites shift from moment to moment and Frankly, I just love too many things too much to honestly say this or that is my favorite. But I have, in certain conversations, referred to Robert Zemeckis' 1997 film Contact as my favorite movie. Mostly, this is for the sake of convenience. It's like weird to be having a conversation and be like, oh, Contact is a movie that I like very much among other movies that I also like. A lot of this has to do with timing. I was in exactly the right place in my life for that movie when it came out. And it spoke to so much of what I was thinking. It still does. Contact is the only movie I know of that speaks intelligently and accessibly to the space where theology and science meet, and specifically to the challenges to our worldviews, both secular and religious, that we'd have to confront in the event of genuine first contact with alien life. Some of you may think we've already had that first contact, and I'm not here to argue with that. What I'm referring to is the first contact out in the open where the world was presented with clear and public evidence of extraterrestrial life. At the time, I was sure such life existed. I'm not anymore. In fact, I'm in a very small minority of people who would err on the side that no intelligent species in any meaningful way similar to our own exists in some corner of the cosmos that would overlap with our space-time boundaries. I'm largely sympathetic to the Fermi paradox, which demonstrates just how abundant life would be if we were not alone, and the Great Filter, which suggests that life inevitably hits the wall of its own destruction before being able to achieve interstellar travel. I'll bring these ideas up and hash them out in a future episode sometime. But I'm not, I'm not married to these conclusions, and I, I hope I'm wrong, as my guest today thinks I am. Brandon Robertson has become one of the leading voices among the young progressive Christian movement. He's an openly gay minister who has written on the subjects of millennials, social justice, and contemplative spirituality, and he's a Christian LGBTQ plus activist. In 2014, he was named the national spokesman of Evangelicals for Marriage Equality, an organization that sought to encourage evangelicals to support civil marriage equality, even if they're unable to support sacramental marriage equality in the church. Later that year, he led the effort to convene a historic meeting between Southern Baptist leaders and LGBT plus movement leaders during the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's National Conference in Nashville. In 2015, he was the subject of an MSNBC documentary about his efforts to convince Southern Baptist leaders to support marriage equality. He's since developed an enormous following as the TikTok preacher, a role that has allowed him to speak eloquently to a young audience of millions of viewers 
His like total currently sits at 3.8 million about LGBTQ plus theology and what he calls the gospel of inclusion, about which he's also written several books. And earlier this summer, he was the subject of a Rolling Stone profile written by our friend Alex Morris. He now lives in D.C. where he pursues faith-based LGBTQ plus activism full-time. Robertson believes we need to expand theology, not just to be more actively inclusive, but to prepare for the likes of First Contact. And he very much believes that it's more likely a matter of when, not if, and at that, more likely sooner than later. So I very much wanted to have that conversation with him. Brandon Robertson is my guest today. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Welcome. Uh, it's great to it's great to have you. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So I, in the intro to the show, did a whole bunch of uh, background on your credentials and and so on and so forth. But uh, would you like to, in your own words, kind of give a um, a previously on synopsis of uh, how you kind of got to where you are today? Yeah, my name is Brandon Robertson, um, and I've served as a progressive Christian pastor in various capacities over the past probably six years. The last four years, I led a church in San Diego called Mission Gathering, and then in January, moved out to D.C., where I'm working uh, full-time in politics, but also uh, still doing full-time ministry, uh, both at a local church here and through uh, digital ministry means like uh, TikTok and YouTube and uh, all the other social medias trying to spread this gospel of inclusion. And so that's really what I am passionate about is that intersection of where faith meets political and social action and uh, helping people realize those implications of Jesus's message for our individual lives and for the world around us. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say the gospel of inclusion? Like what, what does that term um, encompass? Totally. I mean, when I talk about the gospel of inclusion, I'm talking about the gospel. I think uh, I, the reason the tag inclusion needs to go on it is because so much of what is proclaimed as gospel by so many Christians around the world, one has no basis in the mouth of Jesus. Uh, most Christians, if you ask them what the gospel is, they'll give you an answer that is not what Jesus said the gospel was. And um, my whole theology goes back to Jesus in Mark chapter one, where it says Jesus was going throughout the Galilee, proclaiming the gospel and saying, and then we're given a quote, and it says, and this quote from Jesus is the summary of the gospel he preached, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe this good news. According to Jesus, that is the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the new way of ordering the world that aligns with God's original vision for what the world should be, is emerging in our midst. And we're invited to repent, or the Greek word there is metanoia. It's a lot less about being sorry for your sins and more about changing the way you're living in the world, changing the way you're seeing the world, and believe this good news. It requires some level of faith because this kingdom 
isn't coming the way that the Jewish people thought it was coming. It wasn't coming with military power and might. It's first coming through spiritual transformation in people's hearts. And then those people are going out and transforming the world through subversive acts of love. And so my understanding of the gospel is that, that there's this new reality emerging in, in our world. And God has invited all of us, whoever we are, whatever we believe, whatever our background is, to begin working to create this more beautiful world. And that's an inclusive message. Um, that's the gospel message. And unfortunately, most people who proclaim quote unquote gospel today are preaching a gospel of exclusion. They just uh, wouldn't add that tag onto it. But that's kind of precisely what majority of, I would say, evangelical churches are proclaiming these days. So, I mean, one of the things that I think is so interesting about you, and I, I've I've been um, over the last twenty years or so since I've been studying religion and and and, and the various religious movements in America, um, one of the constants that I've uh, heard over and over and over again is, you know, X, Y, and Z is is challenging the evangelical status quo, or like here are the new young evangelicals who are pushing back against X, Y, and Z, uh, and it never actually seems to, in my view, really go anywhere. Um, that that's always uh, a little bit empty. Um, I, I've noticed that, like in your in your particular approach to um, progressive Christianity and um, what you so eloquently call the gospel of inclusion. Um, that that you uh, seem to be much less passively engaged in this, right? I see a lot of progressive Christians who are basically like, "Look, if you look at the Jesus of Luke, who's very lovey-dovey, you know, that's that's all that matters." Um, whereas you seem to be tackling a lot of these issues head-on and saying, "No, it's not just that Christianity is." Um, accepting of, of, you know, LGBTQ plus people, but actually there's no biblical basis um, against it. Um, can you kind of walk me a little bit through, you know, sort of how you got there and how you make that argument and like what sort of arguments you um, engage in uh, to, to combat this sort of orthodoxy about, um, you know, the role of or, or the place of uh, LGBTQ plus people uh, within within the religion. Totally. Yeah, I think, I mean, so many of us, when you, so many people go on this journey of deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. And often in the early stages of deconstruction, whether it's about LGBT issues, whether it's about women in ministry, or really any other topic where you're kind of diverging from um, where mainstream conservative Christianity stands on an issue, um, lots of folks, really try to cling hard to conservative Christianity while only changing one part of their theology. And so you see early on, if you would have talked to me eight years ago, I would have said, I am still an evangelical. I believe in all the things, any other evangelical, John Piper, anything like that I would align with, except I believe that the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality because of a mistranslation, because mm. um, not understanding the context, I would have had some argument like that. And it's genuine when it's made by people in that early stage of their journey. But I think what I've discovered with both how people's theological trajectory has gone and my own journey has been that the more you actually study, the more you're opened up to being honest and wrestling with the text uh, of the scripture by and set aside all the presuppositions that you were given by your evangelical tradition, 
the more you begin, one, to see that oftentimes what we were told the Bible was teaching when understood in its proper context culture is very different than what the Bible actually is teaching. And, um, and also, you just get more freedom to ask questions like, why do we give orthodoxy the credence we give it when what's been declared as orthodoxy was simply a council of men sitting down around the table for a few weeks and arguing about theology and coming up with a statement that they declared to be the truth for the church for all time. And it's like, well, once you start looking at, at history that way, then it's a legitimate question to ask, well, why should we take that as gospel truth? Um, for me, I spent on the LGBT issue, I spent my entire master's degree studying first century Greco-Roman and Jewish understandings of sexuality. And so I have a deep understanding of what the world of the New Testament in particular looked like uh, in regards to sexuality and gender identity. And it's completely different than what most of us think when we look at the text. And with that background and that history, along with my study of Greek and Hebrew, being able to go back to the biblical text and read the six verses that people claim to talk about homosexuality, in that context, you quickly realize that what these passages are talking about isn't homosexuality as we talk about it today. It's not about mm -hmm. committed same-sex relationships as we know them today. Almost every single one of those passages is talking about some version of exploitative sex or some version of sex as idolatry, uh, worshiping a idol through sexual sacrifice. And I think it's it's a foolproof argument in one sense, like that's just even conservative scholars would concede to a degree that that's true about the text. They would still say, but there's a principle behind what this text is condemning and that is what applies to modern same-sex relationships. And I don't buy that argument, but I think if we're just taking the Bible at its face value, uh, historically, contextually, you can't make the case that there is any verses that are talking about same-sex relationships or LGBT people as we know them in 2021. And therefore, there's no condemnation in scripture for same-sex relationships. So do you think in general that, um, and certainly you wouldn't be a historical anomaly um, in this regard, um, you know, you can say this of Thomas Aquinas, that, that um, Christian theology and doctrine needs to um, progress, not just in terms of social issues, but um, in its in its sort of structural worldview. In, in other words, the way that the average, whatever that means, uh, the average Christian, especially you know, sort of Western American Christian, um, pick an evangelical out of a lineup, um, the way that the entire sort of framework of the understanding of um the religion and the world in which it exists um needs some serious updating would you say that's that's accurate yeah in one sense i would definitely say i think um that progression and evolution within faith is natural and normal and is necessary but i also think my project is not necessarily making something new out of christianity but i'm actually again calling people back to understanding what it was like in the first century because i actually think if we understand the first century in its context 
we'll find that the biblical world wasn't all that different from our world in many ways. And especially like when we're talking about sexuality and gender identity, there were robust understandings of same-sex relationships in the first century. And there were genderqueer people in the first century. And there were social structures to help incorporate these people into society and into religion in the first century. And so part of what I'm doing around this topic is saying, actually, let's go back. Like we're reading modern understandings of sexuality and gender onto these texts and coming up with this anti-LGBT theology when if we actually just went back to what the first century people who wrote these texts believed and how they viewed the world, we'd come to a more uh, progressive, so to speak, understanding. So there's that one hand. The other side is I've been fascinated with the fact, and I think more Christians need to, look at the Jewish tradition because that's where our faith is rooted. And the Jewish tradition has always, at its core, as in the oldest texts of the rabbis interpreting the Bible, there's always this idea that the text is evolving. God is evolving. The words may mean one thing to one person in one place, but they may mean something different to another person in another place. And um, Reform Judaism today is a great example of this really forward-looking progressive faith that's deeply rooted in the tradition from which Christianity emerged from, and yet Reformed Judaism has said, we understand that our forefathers who gave us these traditions didn't give these to us to bind us. They gave them as a platform to build upon. And so I think Jesus, if he were alive today on earth, um, in his own tradition, we, we would look at him and see him acting as a Reformed Jew, understanding that his faith needs to evolve and adapt and change, not because God changes, but because most of the things that uh, our faith is built upon aren't divine dictates, but humans understanding God and humans trying to make meaning uh, out of revelation given to us. And so I don't know if that's making complete sense, but it's both and. <laughs> go backwards yeah. and uh, understand that our tradition itself calls us to go forwards uh, to be reformed and always reforming as uh, the re Protestant reformers would have said. Well said. Um, okay. Do you want to talk about aliens? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about cool. aliens. Um, all right. So uh, for some, for some context here, um, a couple months ago, we had a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter uh, about, about aliens. And um, basically uh, I was kind of expressing my frustration with the uh, supposition that there must be alien life out there. And, and we, we sort of went back and forth. But the reason I wanted to bring it up with you in the first place and the reason that I think that this is um, an important topic is, is because I see a lot. I mean, I do see some people within the sort of... Um, mainstream Christian movement, especially younger people, um, taking seriously, for instance, the implications of developing artificial intelligence and like what that means for religion um, and, and the idea of personhood. Um, so there's kind of the robot angle of it. But um, I think the alien angle of it is also really important. And the theological implications um, and readiness of, of what it means when and if that day comes when the aliens land <laughs> and, and introduce themselves to us, uh, whether yeah. or not that's already happened. Um, so there's a couple of things like uh, on this on this track that I, I, I want to um, 
dig into with you. Um, one is is the, the the sort of philosophical idea of of there being intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. The other being whether or not you think they've ever come to Earth. <laughs> um, and then also, like, very seriously, what some of those implications would be for religion and, like, how we can prepare for that um, in some meaningful way. So let's start, let's start at the beginning. Um, you kind of know where I, where I, where I land. Uh, and and I, can, I can sort of elaborate on my, where I kind of feel right now. But, but um, why do you, why are you kind of, like, certain, right? Why do you sort of uh, run on the assumption that, yes, there's definitely uh, intelligent civilizations somewhere out there in the universe right now? Yeah, well, I think basically logic is what has driven me to that assertion. And really, it's been amplified in the past few years um, because some of our leading scientists and some of the leading kind of scientific voices in the public square have come out very clearly, even before all of this stuff about UAPs and the congressional report that has come out recently. Uh, You had Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, there's almost 100% certainty just based on probability that if the universe is infinite and that there are infinite numbers of planets, that there has to be other life that exists somewhere. And the question then is, in that infinite reality that we exist in, will we ever come in contact with whatever other kind of life exists? And that question is one that I'm always open to debate. I don't think anybody can have an answer until we either uh, have contact with that species out there somewhere or humanity destroys itself and then we'll know the answer. But uh, <laughs> but the truth is, I think throughout history, there has been millions of accounts of people seeing things. Uh, and I, it's weird to hear myself talk about this because I get that it seems <laughs> out there in some sense. But I'm also religious, which I think it disposes me to want to say that if millions of people over thousands of years say that they've seen something, then rather than writing that off as delusion, I think we should lean towards, well, maybe there is something there. So I think that experiential level piqued my curiosity early on, uh, even as a kid, like, how can this be happening if these things don't exist? Um, I think today, with the congressional report that came out in June, having the government finally acknowledge that there are at least some sort of aircraft and underwater craft that have been seen over the course of, I think it was 70 years, the report covered, and they don't know what it is. The technology is not known to exist in any country on earth. And we should at least, they say, be open to the idea that this is coming from another place in the universe. The other theory that they've posited, and I've heard a couple of people from the congressional report posit this, and this is really mind blowing. (laughs) And it sounds so out there, but, it's been positive that these are actually humans sending technology back in time. At some point in the future, we've yeah. figured out how to do that, and that's what we're experiencing. Either way, <laughs> there is something insane happening, and yeah. um, and I think we need to be open to that. And I I just love that we're living in this strange moment of human history where at least this conversation is in the public square, and I'm not being locked up uh, in the in. <laughs> the insane asylum because I'm talking about it. So, 
No, I, I look. I'm 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 with you. Like I I grew up. You know, I I was I was a religious X Files watcher in the <laughs> '90s, right? Um, you know, I watched sightings all the time. I when I was a teenager was like a hundred percent sure that, of course, like the gray aliens were real and abductions yeah. were real and uh, UFOs were you know all of it. I I was I was really all in. So I kind of started at like a maximalist position, yeah. um, and kind of worked my way back to a deeply skeptical uh, position that I'm in now. And, and, you know, I, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, you, you, you talked, you, you mentioned the fact that, um, you know, being a religious person has a, puts a, a certain light onto this. And, you know, I do think that if you come from the perspective or sort of the faith tradition that life is um, purposefully created, I, I do think that's going to change, you know, your, your calculation a little bit as well. Um, you know, my feeling is basically like I, I, I would love there to be aliens. I want to meet, like, I want ET to happen to me. <laughs> like, it's been my lifelong dream. I just, I, I, I kind of buy into the, um, the math of, of, uh, you know, the, the, the great filter and, and the idea that, like, where are they all uh, if they're out there? And mathematically, it kind of doesn't make sense if we haven't been visited. Now, it changes if we have been, right? And and as you say, um, and I think it's a very valid point, um, including some strange uh, passages in the Bible, uh, <laughs> there have been these sorts of sightings throughout history. Um, I mean, what do you make of, let's talk about the Bible part. Like, what do you make of the whole, I don't know, you know, like, the the whether or not you believe the um the the chariot of fire story with elijah is historically factual or not um yeah what do you make of like the ufo theory about that sort of stuff in the bible like angels i do, do you ever put any sort of uh weight into into that idea yeah not really i think so <laughs> like, i watch just for fun ancient aliens that tv show all the time and they talk about this stuff all the time and i i find myself yeah rolling my eyes at most of it because I think like in the biblical text, we've got to understand that these, the people writing these texts were writing mythology. Like this is not ever intended to be a historical account of anything that actually happened. Now, most mythology is rooted in some reality. And I do believe, um, I think it's likely that ancient people, if UFOs exist, if aliens exist, and if they visited earth, I think they've been visiting Earth for a long time. And I think there are lots of mysteries about how the ancient world worked and how certain technologies were created by very archaic people. Like, I think some of that could easily be explained. And it's it's tempting to just say, well, they were visited and some sort of extraterrestrial being showed the people who built the pyramids how to build the pyramids. <laughs> like, I think there's some level of me that is compelled by that line of logic. Obviously, we'll never be able to prove that. Um, but I don't. I don't think reading into religious texts, extraterrestrial uh, things, is necessarily helpful. At least where from where I stand, I think mm -hmm. I really want to say that. Like, I think it's just more reasonable that if you if you believe a man rose from the dead two thousand years ago, then you should also <laughs> have room in your paradigm for uh, extraterrestrial life and. Yeah. What's funny is that most Christians don't believe in extraterrestrial life, and actually a lot of Christians, um, there's even been videos of some crazy right-wing pre preachers after the congressional report coming out saying that aliens are all demons, and this is all demonic. It's not anything mm -hmm. real. It's like, mm -hmm. 
that's where you really see the toxic side of religion. It's like you can't see that your belief in aliens and demons is far more crazy than some other <laughs> being from another planet in our universe coming to visit us. Um, yeah, but I I also kind of think, well, what's the difference really? I I mean, let's let's say for the sake of argument that you know people did interact with aliens in the distant past and took yeah. them to be demons, and it's sort of like. Is there any kind of fundamental difference? Isn't isn't it just a religious reading of of potentially the same phenomenon? Sure. Yeah. I mean, looking at it that way, definitely. I think ancient people, if they were to have encountered extraterrestrials, probably similar to if we encounter extraterrestrials today, we would view them as gods or, I mean, there's... Even like in our modern scientific era, even the way you're, you were talking about, like the greys, let's say the greys exist. Well, if there's a grey that exists in Roswell, New Mexico right now, and the government admits that, you better believe millions of people are going to be trying to go meet that thing and try to, <laughs> there's going to be this awe and wonder and very religious sensibility about the whole thing. And I think religion springs up around the unknown. That's what the point is. And the whole extraterrestrial conversation is precisely about something's happening. We have this logic that leads some people to believe that this life should exist somewhere. And that's pretty much the same formulation that happens with most religion. It's this idea that there should be a God because it just seems to logically make sense for some of us. And there's been these experiences that seem to point to it. And so we posit that there's a God. So I'm, kind of undoing my own argument, even as I'm talking to you. Like, <laughs> yeah, part of this is all faith. But what I want to argue is really, yeah, yeah. I think we're living in a moment where, and I wonder how you, how you think about like um, government officials and scientists that are kind of been pro the congressional report coming out and saying, yes, we really believe this exists. Like as a skeptic, mm. how do you take their claims? How do you view that? Well, so I should say that I'm a skeptic just insofar as the um, alien civilization that is close enough in likeness to human beings that is also within the proximity enough of Earth to reach us. Like the math for me starts to fall apart when even if you consider a um, infinite universe, right, um, where you start to factor in the, uh, the factor of time in space travel. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would not be surprised, for instance, to learn that several billion years ago, um, some kind of intelligent civilization exists somewhere in some pocket of the universe, but um, that we'd ever know about it or that we would um, overlap with it in the timeline. Um, you know, as I, as I think more and more about the, um, the possibilities, it, it just... Uh, the, the number starts to get smaller and smaller. But having said that, right, it's funny, I kind of laughed when you talked about the um, either time traveling humans or interdimensional beings element of it, because I actually am much more open to that idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I find that a lot more plausible um, of, of some... If, uh, alternate variation and it, again i i feel like i'm insane saying this but that's yeah. why it's kind of important to start having these conversations i think um i'm more open to that idea because uh you know i, I think there are certain elements of physics that are starting to say like yeah that's feasible right you know like that's that doesn't completely violate 
um, at least a lot of the frontiers of theoretical physics. Um, and and I can see it. I've all, <laughs> you know, I've always thought that if time travel, as it's understood in say, you know, Bill and Ted, right, uh, or Back to the Future, like if that existed, it would be the first technology we ever knew about, right? Like because we'd go back to primordial man and be like, here's how you do it. Uh, by the way, here's a smartphone and everything else. Um, so like that doesn't work for me either. But but I I am. Yeah, I, the the idea of some sort of interdimensional beings, um, I, I I get, and I've also noticed in my sort of eavesdropping on a lot of conspiracy theorists and uh, fundamentalist Christians and the overlap of the two, that that's sort of where they often land as well, <laughs> which I think is really interesting. That like they're they're allergic to the idea of aliens, but not to some sort of futuristic version of humans who may also be demonic in some way so yeah. um i don't know that's kind of where i'm at or we have technology that nobody wants us to know about and uh that's all there is to it i like you know that's those are sort of the two um possibilities but you're right in saying that that it's something there's i have no doubt that there is something going on um it's not a bunch of delusional people i i, I would never say that totally yeah yeah and i think we, we probably agree on most things and also come down on kind of like opposite sides on this in the sense that like, I think if we're willing to posit that sometime in the future, humanity figures out how to um, travel back in time, a couple things there when you said that one, I was like, with the things that the government has been talking about, these kind of orbs that move around in weird positions and whatever. My thought there is that this is humanity in the future, just figuring out how to do this. And they're sending these like drone type things back into to view what was happening in 2021. And so like, that's how I think about that postulating, like they've not figured out the technology yet. Uh, and so they're only exploring what we're, what we're like, but if we're willing to believe that that's possible, I think we should also necessarily be open to the fact that somewhere else in the universe in in light years away from where we're at, some species, whether or not they're like us has figured out also how to, um, do interdimensional travel because that's sure that is exactly what we're looking at now as humans like how do we get to mars quicker than actually traveling the distance through space time is there a way to work that and get mm -hmm. get to the place we want to get to quicker um and i think i think the most exciting thing about the era we're living in is like you said these conversations aren't out there anymore these are conversations that for the past 20 30 years theoretical physicists, quantum physicists have been talking about. And now we're actually starting to see people formulating some really concrete and accepted theory about how this works. And I can only imagine that if we have this conversation 50 years from now, we're going to sound like we were both <laughs> dumbest people, but like, because things are going to be like, people are just going to be accepting all of this as basic truth and not being able to believe that people didn't believe this stuff was yeah. possible, I think. So. Yeah, I hope that's, I mean, uh, I don't know if I'll be alive in 50 years, but if, if so, um, yeah, we should check in on that. But, but yeah. you know, I also think there's something about the, and I think what's kind of appealing about the idea of a, um, a future variation of humanity is that given the sort of existential angst that we're living through right now. Um, I, I do think there's some reason to side with that idea in terms of 
being optimistic that there will be a variation of humanity to get that far and come back and, and, you know, check in on us and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I think part of like the appeal of the, um, the future human theory uh, or hypothesis, I should say, uh, is, is, is exactly that, that, that it, it means we're going to make it or some version of us is going to make it beyond the next century um, and, and, uh, and, and carry on into the future, which, which is, you know, yeah reassuring right it is I mean, there is a total religious sensibility again about all of this is precisely mm-hmm. that i mean listening to elon musk talk about like his whole his whole idea in his lifetime getting humanity to be able to establish a base on mars 10 years ago we would have all said that's freaking insane and yet there's being real moves made by very wealthy people with the means to do it to actually create this salvation for humanity and uh, a lot of the UAP reports, I don't know if you saw, there was a lot of, um, there's a few reports at least of these these technologies being seen over like nuclear power plants. And there's been a few stories of them shutting right. down nuclear reactors. And so there's, right. I've heard a lot of people postulate, well, these are, these UFOs, uh, extraterrestrials coming to earth to save humanity from destroying ourselves with nuclear weapons. Uh, and again, obviously it's postulating, but what you're seeing there is precisely a sensibility of projecting a savior. Like we know humanity spiraling towards our own destruction. The climate report that was just released like two weeks ago said that we're in code red and there's no going back. Like I think we're going to see more and more people just from that inner religious sensibility, as you were saying, want these extraterrestrials to exist and want them to come and save us from ourselves. Um, and so I think we have to be, extra skeptical as we're thinking through these things, whether this is humanity projecting because we realize we're heading towards destruction or maybe God willing, these are actually extraterrestrials who know how to help us and they'll come and uh, truly be our, our saviors. Well, they should go after the coal plants. If, <laughs> you know, like uh, go after the, the fossil fuel industry yeah. and not the nuclear power plants. But um, I, 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 I take your point. Um, I the last I mean I the other part of this that I think is really important to talk about and and we've we've danced around a little bit here but but um you know I talk a lot about obviously like there's a lot of overlap between religion and science fiction I, I talk a lot about both on this show but um one of the things that I, I found really lacking uh in in science fiction is a really um uh introspective conversation or or um analysis of what the actual implications of this would be i mean i mean arthur c clark sure like uh, wove it into his work um the only one i think i I mentioned this to you as well uh that really sort of takes it head on in any meaningful way is contact and and you know in that movie you have the uh, the, the the Jake Busey character, who's this sort of fundamentalist Christian, who um, you know blows up the whole project quite literally. Spoiler: um, the movie's twenty five years old. Like, get over <laughs> it. Uh, but but you know, it, so so you have sort of this uh, that being analyzed in the story. Um, but it really sh- it kind of shocks me that that given the amount of sort of religiosity within science fiction, that that this really has not been something that anybody's tackled, which is, you know, what really are the implications, right? Not just like, 
how you know I, there's all kinds of independence day is like one version of what happens when for, yeah. with first contact um but arrival like is a very different sort of one but neither of those movies really show us the way that religious people which is most people on earth uh respond to this and and the way that it it shakes and and sort of um recontextualizes their faith so so if you do believe and I, and I think you do that there's a good possibility that sometime in our lifetimes we are going to know more about the universe beyond ourselves how do we prepare for it religiously yeah i mean it is a good question and there has been this line of uh, mainly catholic theologians talking about astro theology um, and there's actually a book that came out by the vatican's astronomer uh, 15 years ago called would you baptize an extraterrestrial um and there's so people have played with the idea i think it's impossible to understand what the implications will be until we understand what sort of life we're interacting with i think if the beings that show up are these super intelligent super human like creatures that come and say the way you have been thinking about things is all wrong I think, I think that's going to lead us to a very uh, a different conclusion. I think what's more likely is that you're going to have a lot of religious people rejecting the reality, nonetheless, like we've done that's, so many things. Yep, that, are that makes world. sense. Um, yep. But then there's going to be a lot of us who say, okay, and this is where progressive astrotheology these days is even thinking, well, we believe my understanding of God isn't the traditional theistic understanding. I believe God is the ground of being life itself, the thing that animates us. And so I have room in my theology to believe that if there is consciousness in other realms and other universes and other galaxies, that this thing I call God is giving it the animation, the life, the ability to exist. And so there's a widening of theology and an adapting of theology to comprehend and help make sense of um, whatever this new thing is we experience might be. And I actually think that'll be the first stage for most humans. I think we would see a, a high interest in a religious explanation for extraterrestrials were we hmm. to encounter them. And then I think we'd have the same skeptical evolution that we have with religion uh, as we've seen it today, where hopefully we'd be able to interact with these beings and get to know about them and how they work. And, and that might really start chipping away at some of our basic ideas of what it even means to be human and what it means to be alive. Um, I could go off in so many directions here, but like I'm actually re really compelled by um uh, the idea that this is all a simulation and that uh, <laughs> another podcast that we can get into some other time. But I, I think it's fascinating. And I think like even that line of thinking offers some really interesting critiques to religious thought, but then also poses a whole new framework for a religious idea. And I think the same thing would happen and will happen whenever we figure out uh, what's going on with these UAPs. Uh, either we're going to find out our governments are corrupt and have these terrible weapons, and then I think we'll need a re religious response to that. Uh, or we're going to have to really, I think sensible religious people are going to really have to begin reforming our traditions in light of reality. Uh, that is kind of my catchphrase, that when reality and theology collide, it's the theology that needs to change. And I, I know 
that there are so many religious leaders that are on the edge of their seats with this conversation and are ready to take a sledgehammer to the ways we viewed the world in order to have a more accurate understanding of life and reality and why we're here and where all of this is going. And I think the extraterrestrial conversation really opens up the door for us to do that in probably the most significant way in human history. It's funny, <laughs> you know, I laugh about it because when you say um, that the simulation theory, um, you know, there's no reading of Genesis, whether literal or metaphorical, you know, uh, however you sort of fall on uh, the interpretation of Genesis, there's really no reading of it that doesn't say exactly that, right? <laughs> like, of course, we're a simulation. Um, your theology, if you're a fundamentalist, says that like God just made this little game, right? And like, and that's that's literally um, how it describes. I, I'm also, I, I'm actually, you know, I, I'd love again to talk more about that because that's a separate yeah. conversation. But I've I've always found it very interesting that there's so much resistance to that idea, um, especially from you know more conservative Christians. Uh, when in fact a, a a purely fundamentalist view of of um, their scripture says you're living in a simulation like that's exactly what this is that's what Genesis says uh, and and if you take Genesis as fully literal then there's not really another reading of it right um, that's it's uh, you live I'm, in the matrix <laughs> yeah, I really do think that I just think the most and this is just where I'm at today but I think. Looking at the <laughs> looking at even things like DNA, I was talking to a friend, um, admittedly over a few beers, so I was a little, a little more open to some ideas. But um, like just basic things about our reality, like humans being able to create video games, virtual reality, and technology, and then actually looking at the building blocks of life, like DNA, which is mm -hmm. simply code. Like, right? We're literally like our world is digital. <laughs> like it, like. There are parts of this that I think humanity is, we're going to be resistant to because it poses questions about how meaningful anything is. And if anything is actually real, is a simulation reality? Like, that's a big philosophical conversation that's being had right now. And um, I think that's why there's so much resistance to most of these conversations because yeah. religion has given so many people this framework that they've just bought into and it's made sense of the world and their life. And all of these things threaten to completely destroy any framework that has ever been given to help make meaning in the world. And mm. I think the best thing we can do is actually be willing to jump into that and make the purpose of our lives exploring these big questions and these big possibilities rather than clinging to things that are actually just going to prevent us from knowing who we are and what this thing is that we're experiencing. Um, but I think those are really the two minds we see in humanity. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a good place to leave it, I think. So um, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, before we go, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast know how to find you anyway. Um, but uh, do you want to direct people to your your TikTok, which is very popular, um, your your books, uh, plug away? Yeah. Well, first, again, thanks for making this space. And uh, forgive me, everyone. I feel like I've never been so all over the place in a conversation. <laughs> uh, it was sort of a wide-ranging conversation. So, yeah, uh, no, but I love it. I think this is so important, and I'm glad you're having these. Um, 
And yeah, if folks want to find me, the easiest way is brandonrobertson.com. Um, that has links to TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, everything else. Um, and while I haven't done a lot of writing or tweeting or TikToking about uh, aliens, uh, I do actually plan on uh, diving into this more in the future. And so if you're interested, let's continue having these conversations. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think I want to invite everyone into these conversations as we wrestle with these big questions together. Brandon, thanks so much. Be well. You too. Thank you so much.